Lord, you've given us the very breath of life indeed, and now we ask that through the breath of your spirit, you will move through this place and whisper us something that will bring us closer to you for Jesus' sake. Hey, friends, it's been just about a month since we celebrated Easter and Jesus' resurrection. And in today's Bible reading, uh, we are going to travel back to Holy Week, to the upper room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated a Passover meal together on the evening of Monday, Thursday, before the brutal and awesome events of Good Friday and Easter weekend. As they gathered around that Passover table together, Jesus broke bread and gave it to them and told them it was his body. And then he poured wine and shared it with them and told them it was his blood. And if that wasn't mind-boggling enough, then Jesus told his 12 disciples he would be leaving them. And that's when the 12 got really scared. When Jesus told them that he was about to leave them and depart, that's when they really started to worry. In John chapter 14, which is going to be our scripture reading for today, Jesus' disciples are reacting to this news. Where's he going? How could he leave us? And they are full of fear and anxiety. They are uncertain about what is going to happen to them next, uncertain about what is coming, and in the next 24 hours of their lives, what is coming is far worse than anything they could have imagined. I think most of us at any given time in our regular old human lives, we can sympathize with this feeling of uncertainty. I mean, think about where you are today or have been in the last week. Have you ever had the thought, what is going to happen next? I mean, just politically speaking, the last year. Have you ever thought, oh man, what is going to happen next? Why is it changing so fast? Where is this going? What's going to happen to me? For me personally, as one of your pastors here at this church, like, I'm feeling this right now. I mean, Riff's about to leave. Like, the co-worker I work most closely with, like, after next Sunday, he's out of here. And the place where I work, my life and times here, is about to change a little bit. And I'm quite uncertain about what exactly uh, that's going to look like. Know what I'm saying? Here you are on Sunday morning. Come back in a month. The place where we worship, where we love to come on Sunday morning, is about to change a little bit. How's it going to go? I'm a little uncertain. You should be a little uncertain. Now, to make it really personal for you, in the safety of this place, are you willing to dredge up whatever is going on in your life, in your heart right now, and name it and say, this is the part of me sitting here on Mother's Day, May 14, 2017, where I am experiencing worry and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. I'm asking you to do this in the safety of this place. Not going to leave you there. Jesus isn't going to leave you there. 
But Jesus' words and the rest of this message are going to make far more sense if you're willing to put some words around what is gnawing at you today. So I'm going to leave you 50, 15 seconds of quiet, right? Just bring to the surface of your heart and mind, here's what is causing me trouble right now. And now into the reality of our uncertainty. Jesus himself says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. There is something going on in this scene as Jesus is speaking that is not readily apparent to us as Americans. First off, Jesus says, in the midst of all this trouble and fear and worry, don't let your hearts be troubled. I wonder how many of the 12 rolled their eyeballs at that point. Like, that is not what you want to say to somebody who's scared. Like, just don't be scared. But Jesus backs it up. Jesus says, don't be worried. Okay, Lord, but how do we stop the worry? And Jesus offers this profound antidote. He is going to prepare a place for his disciples, us, at his father's house. Now, what our ears don't hear 2,000 years later is that Jesus is comparing himself to a fiancé who is getting things ready for a life together with the one whom he desires, with the one that he loves. Jesus is saying the solution to your worries, to my worry, is simply this. I'm going to be with you, people. I mean, really with you. Now, you may be dubious of what I'm laying out here. For us, fiancés and engagements, it involves diamond rings and somebody getting down on one knee. And if you're really clever, you know, something at a movie theater or during the seventh inning stretch of a Cubs game, I feel bad for fiancés these days. I mean, it's like you have to, like, alter the world to get engaged. My goodness, good luck with that. But 2,000 years ago in Israel, the way an engagement went down was totally different. Something like this happened. A woman and a man fell in love. A proposal was going to happen. It wasn't just between the two of them. Families would have representatives, and they would sit down at a meal together. And this was in the day of bride prices or dowries, which might seem sexist to us, but basically what was going on is the guy was saying, 
I know this woman is so precious to your family that I am willing to pay a high price so that she can become part of my family. She is that precious to me. When this price had been negotiated, folks would break bread and eat together. And then the prospective groom and the prospective bride would come in the room. This is the way they did it in Galilee. And somebody would pour a glass of wine. And the man would be the first one to drink. And as he drank it, he would solemnly vow to pay the bride price. And then in agreement that she was willing to unite her life to this guy, the prospective bride would drink from the same cup. And they would be engaged. And from that day forward, she would be known as the woman who was bought with a price. Jesus and his disciples did exactly this. For sure it was a Passover meal. Right? But they had been around enough marriages, enough engagements, that these guys would be thinking in their head, is Jesus proposing to us? I mean, not in a weird way, not in a like a you know, romantic sexualized way, but Jesus is promising to pay the greatest price to be with them. After a Galilean engagement, the marriage would not happen right away. Here's what would happen next. The guy would go back to his family house, his father's house, and literally he would add a room on to their family estate. And when he was done assembling the mortar and the stones, when a room was ready for he and his future wife to inhabit, he would go back and find her, they would get married, and they would move into that new room that was freshly added onto the family estate. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, in my father's house there are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare one for you. And then I'm going to go back, and they are hearing loud and clear, Jesus wants to be with us. Now, there's a short-term and a long-term application to what Jesus is promising to all of his disciples here. For sure, in the big eternal picture, Jesus is pledging to one day come back and take us all to live with him in his Father's house. And we are still waiting for that. And Lord, haste the day as far as I'm concerned. But Jesus is also promising right here and right now in the short term of our daily lives that it is possible to really be with him and really experience him in such a way that it makes our worries and fears and uncertainties pale in comparison to the presence of his love. If you keep reading in John chapter 14, Jesus promises the interior presence of his Holy Spirit, which he claims is even better than having him in the flesh. That's a, that's a promise I struggle to believe. Like, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was preaching this sermon instead of me? I mean, like, if he was here? Nobody? I mean, come on. <laughs> you guys must be pretty happy. Like, that would be awesome. But Jesus is saying, no, it's better that I'm not with you because I am giving you my portable spirit that you can never get away from. I mean, you guys ignore me all the time. I am giving you my spirit, which you can never get away from. 
Now, do you buy this? Is it too weird to think that Jesus is kind of proposing to his followers, to his church? This is what he's doing. By the way, the biblical image of the church as the body of Christ, it's not just like the Apostle Paul plucked this out of his own imagination or out of the air. It's like he's echoing what Jesus did at the Last Supper. The church is the bride of Christ. Can you accept it? That if you have a keen awareness that Jesus is really with you in the rough and tumble of it, that that could transcend and triumph over what is gnawing at you today. That's what Jesus is promising here. It's a tall order. It's an interesting side note that in this upper room scene, Jesus' more famous disciples, Peter and John, Judas... They fade into the background at this point. We don't hear any more from them. And two of the lesser-known disciples, Thomas and Philip, become the lead conversationalists and question-askers after this. Wondering how this is all going to work out, Thomas has a question. If you would read it, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. In our response to wondering about how, Jesus is really going to be with us. How he is really going to help us find peace and certainty in the midst of uncertainty. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice that Jesus doesn't point somewhere and say, hey, here's the model way to behave and run your life. Go that way. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus doesn't say, hey, let me tell you the truth. Let me give it you straight about what's going on. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say, here's how to accept eternal life through believing in me. He says, I am the life. It's all about being connected to Jesus. Do you hear the difference between those statements? It's all about connecting who we are to the great I am. Now, on this Mother's Day, it should be totally obvious to us that we have not always existed. A woman brought us into the world. At some point, we received the gift of life. Jesus has always existed. He is the, the I am. And he is saying, when you take your human life, which has a beginning and which someday you're going to breathe your last breath on this planet, when you take your little human life and hook it up to I am, what could happen? What might happen? Jesus has this complete confidence in his own identity and who he is. The key to Jesus' confidence, to his identity, lay in his relationship to God the Father 
And he is suggesting the same thing to us. If you know me, you know God. If you see me, you see God. I want to linger with you just on one of these three statements, the I am the way, for a few more moments. I imagine it like this. If you take a canoe or a kayak, or if you like to fish, if you take a a float boat and you drop it into a river, you put that little boat in the way of the course of the river. And every river knows its path. One generally gets into trouble in a canoe by trying to go in it as husband and wife. I'm kidding. Like, this would be the worst Mother's Day gift ever. Hey, honey, we're going canoeing today. We've done it a few times and survived. One generally gets in trouble in a canoe by oversteering, overcorrecting, overpaddling when you think you might end up in a little bit of trouble or when a bend is coming up. All things being equal, the river knows its way and will keep you relatively close to the center of where its force and flow and power are. This is how it is in our spiritual lives. It works like this in Jesus. When we put our life into the way of Christ, if we place our life in him, the chief dangers lie in our trying to do too much in our own strength, over-navigating, overthinking, seeing an obstacle coming up and freaking out and trying so hard to avoid it that we end up just spinning and ending up in a log jam instead of trusting the course of the river. There is a centering power to a river which knows where it is going. This is true in so many things. There is a center point, a still point, where there is safety and beauty and strength. Why do we wear seatbelts in cars? Because when an accident's coming on, our general reaction is to flail. A seatbelt keeps us as still as possible, harnessed to a still point, Lord willing, around which the damage and metal can move around and occur. Safety. Why do figure skaters and dancers who are trained to spin at outrageous speeds, do you know how they pull this off? I have no idea, but I'm told. You find like a fixed point, and every time you whip around, you see the same point and just keep yourself oriented. A powerful golf swing turns on a small fixed point at the swinger's center of gravity. I mean, if you know how to hit a golf ball well, there are so many moving joints and parts and planes and angles. I mean, way too much for a human brain to figure out. All you can do to hit a golf ball well is like practice a million hours and figure out where your center is and hope everything stays in relationship to that center. You get what I'm driving at here? Everything that's safe or beautiful or graceful or lovely has a still point. This happens in music all the time, too. First service, we were really lousy at this. Can you sing this note? Keep going, super loud. Want to hear you strong? It's like home right there. Keep going. Keep going. 
God. Didn't that feel like coming home? So seriously, in music, anytime you hear a song like deep in our subconscious, there's like this homing beacon. You don't always hear it audibly with your ears, but if the song doesn't ultimately go there or touch there, you're like, what was wrong with that song? Like there's something deeply written into our, the function of our bodies and our minds, art itself that has this strong centering pull. Life itself tells us that when we find the way, that quiet point in the midst of everything else spinning around, it's there that we find safety and beauty and strength. There is an old Christian saying, I won't bore you with the Latin, that translates out like this. The cross is steady while the world keeps spinning crazily. Catch this? The cross is steady. The rest of the world just keeps spinning around crazily. To that I say yes. The life of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not what we know in our brains. It's when we are connected, stable and steady with him at his cross, at his empty tomb, while all the rest of the world goes nuts. That's where we find certainty. But now, how? Like, is there anything we can do to stay there? I mean, every once in a while, Lord willing, by faith, like, the heavens open up and our magic happens, and we're like, oh, I feel it. We're there. Is there anything we can do to get there, to stay there? In this spirit, there's one more question that one of Jesus' disciples asks. Philip is wondering exactly this. How do we link ourselves to the life of Christ? Again, if you would read his question. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, says why you need the Holy Spirit. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip is asking, how, Jesus, how do we see you if you're gone? How do we stay rooted in God? How do we stay in that safe, beautiful, strong center place? There is a clue, I believe, church, in a child's prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus chose to use for his last breath while suffering on the cross. Psalm 31, verse 5. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, around the world today, in Catholic churches, Anglican churches, Episcopalian churches, Lutheran churches, they follow this thing called the lectionary. Everybody is reading John chapter 14. And the psalm reading for today is Psalm 31, verse 5. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is a reason why these two passages are paired together. Because if we are going to know Jesus, if our spirits are going to commune with him in the deepest part of our soul, we need to find a way to let go and commit all of ourselves into God's good, 
fatherly, motherly, awesome hands. Now, 2,000 years ago, when little kids were learning how to pray at their bedsides, they did not learn the prayer that I learned. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Do we still teach that to kids these days? It's kind of a scary prayer, really. You know what I'm saying? The prayer that Jesus would have learned from Mary, that his 12 best friends would have learned from their mothers, was this. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, Lord, O God of truth. Psalm 31. Like, this is a good way to go to sleep. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I can close my eyes and be at peace and rest, knowing that you've got everything in your hands. This is a hard and spiritually dangerous prayer to pray. I mean, there's a ton of me that wants to paddle my canoe, steer my canoe more. (laughs) And the wisdom of this prayer is saying, you know what? Trust. Trust the way in which you have put the boat of your life. None of us does this by nature. The spiritually mature among us do this all the time, moment by moment, situation by situation. I fear that some of us in this room have not prayed this prayer or anything like this prayer for months or maybe even years. So I am, I am suggesting this as spiritual homework for this week. I know it's exam week, but you're almost done with homework, okay? Five minutes for the next six days to pray this prayer. Not too many other words, just... Breathe and into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit this thing that is just gnawing at me. If you want to do this, say yes to the Holy Spirit right now and then tell somebody else as you're leaving church. Okay? Here's what I promise will happen to you this week. If you do this for five minutes a day, just this simple prayer, 95% of the time, your brain will be going nuts. It will be like monkeys are jumping around in your head. I mean, you'll be thinking of everything except this prayer. Like, oh, man, I'm so worried about that. And oh, what if I X, Y, and Z? And oh, into your hands I commit my spirit. Like, that's how we are. However, by God's grace and with just a little bit of cooperation from you, you might have a moment. You might have 10 seconds. I mean, God might grace you with an entire minute where as you pray that prayer, you recognize God actually has you. No matter how big the mountain that you're facing is, God actually has you and your eyes might actually open and see the shining reality of how much Christ loves you, that he drank the full cup for you, that he's preparing a place for you, and that he's finding you in this interior place right now. And if you got even a 10-second glimpse of that, the whole universe opens up and it changes the color of everything about your life. 
And that's what I long for for you. Not that you know more. Not that you have a head more full of good theology, although like all things being equal is great. What I long for is you in this room to experience communion with God. Because I know even if it's just for a moment, it makes all the difference in the world. A half hour of homework. I mean, what I'm not jealous for you is an extra half hour of advertisements. You probably have enough. And if you skip a half hour this week, you'll be fine. I'm not jealous for you for another half hour of the internet. Like, you'll be fine. It's great for so many things. But if this robs you of a half hour of that, like, that might do this for you. But if you experience communion with God for even 10 seconds... The potential good just from this room is awesome. So if you want to think of it as homework, great. If you can think of it as an invitation, even better. None of us would be sitting in this room today unless some good woman somewhere had given us the gift of her time and sacrificial love. I mean, seriously, none of us survives childhood. None of us makes it to six months unless somebody is holding us and stroking our head and caring for us. It might have been your biological mom. It might have been your adoptive mom. You might have had a good granny or auntie or just friend. But somebody gave up their perfectly good life. The stuff they could have been doing to hold you and feed you and be with you. I mean, seriously, it's a crazy miracle to look around the room and think of all the sacrifice that went into us. But now that we're a little bigger, Jesus is asking us to step into that space where he can give himself to us and sacrifice for us anew and love us and whisper us and sing over us and let us know that it really is going to be okay. If we know Jesus, if we commune with him, we know God. If we see Jesus in our own experience, he says, we see God. And in this practice of being quiet and praying into your hands, I commit my spirit, 2,000 years of disciples and Christian witnesses rise up and say, yep, this is the way to find the presence of God. Amen. Will you please pray with me? Oh God, we try so hard. We worry so much, and there is so much to worry about. We are hooked on pursuing the illusion that we're somehow in control. Oh God, as much as we can, we want to put our lives, our boats, in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, help us trust that the powerful current 
of his love will carry us closer to you and carry us indeed all the way home to you. Father, into your good hands we commend our spirits for Jesus' sake. And everybody said, Amen. Church, in response to God's kind love to us, um, we make gifts of our tithes and offerings, invite the deacons forward, invite you as Jesus' dearly loved people to be as generous as possible. Doug's going to lead us in a song while that happens.